We are in the midst of a famine, a famine of sound biblical doctrine. According to the World Evangelical Alliance, a lack of biblical training is the greatest crisis facing the global evangelical church today. In Africa, it is estimated that 85 to 95% of pastors are either untrained or undertrained. In the 1040 window, 5 million Christian leaders have no access to biblical training. And outside the U.S., there is just one pastor for every 500,000 people. Think about that. The famine of biblical doctrine has led to real-world pain and suffering. But the good news is that we have an opportunity to help end it. Traditional Bible schools and seminaries simply cannot meet the training demands of the ever-expanding global church. So we must take training to the grassroots. We must indigenize training. We can equip leaders all over the world to teach and mentor their own people. Teach them to train up godly, humble men and women right where they are. And this is why Shepherd's Global Classroom exists. We equip the church by providing curriculum for rising Christian leaders around the world. A curriculum which is Christ-centered, culturally adaptable, effective, and makes training reproducible. We envision homes and sanctuaries and cafes and even shade trees as local classrooms where underserved Christian leaders will be discipled and sent into the harvest. Since SGC's founding in 2012, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been invested in creating 20 foundational courses, translating them into over a dozen languages and preparing thousands of men and women in more than 30 countries for the harvest. And we believe that we are just getting started. God is calling us. Is He calling you too? You have a part to play. Join with us and help us end the famine of truth and fill the hearts of men and women around the world who are hungry for the Word of God. God has ordained that training begins at the local church. The Apostle Paul admonished Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is our calling. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is a ministry that's near and dear to my heart. Laying all my cards on the table, I have the privilege of serving on the board of this because I caught the vision for what they're doing. And when he says we're just getting started, we're just getting started. We're now in 30 countries, literally. It's not just thousands, but now we're given the opportunity to reach hundreds of thousands of people, training people. And you're going to hear tonight how ordinary, everyday people, just like us, we can be part of this mission. Not, And it goes beyond just giving financial things, how we can actually play a tangible role in making this happen. So I hope you'll join us. Bring it dessert. Like we're going to have, it's a potluck dessert time. We're going to gather, have a great time. You're like, man, I don't have time to bake a pie or whatever. Go, listen, Costco's open. Pick you up a pie. We're going to have a great time. Join us together tonight, 630. You don't want to miss this. Now today's, the, we're kicking off a brand new series called Heaven's Headlines. And what we know is that around the world, anytime you go on your, whatever your favorite news site, or you go to your favorite news channel, whatever that happens to be, pick up a newspaper, all of the headlines, it's bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. But I want you to know that God is moving. And what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks are examples of how God is working even in what many consider to be the worst of times. What we're going to find out is that if God is still on the throne, we can never say that he's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done, amen? 
And so today, we have, the, we have the privilege of having Tim come and share with us. Would you give me a great Nampa Grace welcome to Tim as he comes and shares this morning. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. I love being the friend of Pastor Keith. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I even like his haircut. I just think that if I had the courage to get a haircut like that and grow a beard, I could look a lot smarter. And um, there's just some people, you know, like Francis Chan, and like you just think he's smart and wise, you know, just because of his haircut. And uh, anyway, he is anyway, but, and so is Pastor Keith. But uh, uh, so, so glad to be here today, and it's such a privilege. It really is an honor. I pray that, uh, that I can be a blessing to you. I really want to be a blessing today as I speak what God has laid on my heart. There is one essential. As Pastor Keith said, you know, we live in, we live in some of the worst of times. We live in difficult days. Anybody ever... Um, I know, I know it's overstated a lot, but, you know, anybody ever seen days quite like this, you know? Unprecedented. How many times have we heard that? The strife, the division, the wars, political wars, race wars, religious wars, you name it. And it all explodes on Facebook and social media. But, but God can use the likes of you and me today. You believe that? Yeah. Like, he wants to work in his church today, through his church today. First of all, in his church today. And he's doing that, right? He is cleansing. I believe that he is purging. He is sanctifying his church. But he wants to work in his church so that he can work through his church today. I came with a simple message. I prayed. I sought the Lord. I had like three or four points, you know? And the Lord just kept narrowing it down. No, there is really only one essential to you and me being effective today in this generation, in this day that we live in. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, provides us kind of a negative example, okay, this morning. But I think he's okay with that because it's likely that Jonah helped write the book of Jonah, okay, which is unbelievable to me. Like, I would have definitely ended it differently, right? Like, uh, you know, and he got saved and, you know, his heart was filled with the Holy Spirit and he went out and went as a missionary to wherever, bought a house, maybe in Nineveh, you know, and, uh, and won many people to Christ. But it kind of ends really strange. Like, my, my daughter came to me one day, Carrie, and she said, Dad, why does the book of Jonah end so weird? You know, it's just this question, like, is it right? And I think it's because uh, God, if you, you know the story of Jonah, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that you do, and I probably shouldn't do that this morning, but in, in the, the story of Jonah, it ends with this question, uh, you know, is it right for you to love plants more than people? Is it right for you to, to love your plant, you know, when there's 100,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left and many livestock? God cares about animals too. And, uh, but Jonah is the prophet who, who ran, right? He's the prophet who ran from his responsibility, who ran from his obligation. But, but the first uh, three chapters of, of, of the book of Jonah tell us that he ran from the presence of God. It's really why he ran. 
And then chapter four, where I'm going to start uh, this morning, in chapter four, it tells us why he ran, and it's really strange. But it's, it's going to help us get to this one essential that I want us to, to get to this morning. I saw it on Facebook, so it has to be true. But <clears throat> a father uh, returns home after a long deployment, and he showed up at his middle school son's baseball game. And uh, he shows up in uniform. His son is surprised, doesn't know that his dad is coming and all the, everybody's on the field. And he sees his dad come. And he, he, he sees his dad and he just charges toward that gate. And the gate was kind of latched and he, he was just shaking the gate, trying to get it open. Finally got the gate open and just tore off after his dad. He was almost as big as his dad. And he, he just runs and leaps into the arms of his father, buries his head, you know, and he's crying and so glad to see his dad. And when I saw that, like, I just teared up, like I'm kind of getting ready to do right now. And just like, I thought to myself, because God's been working on me in this area, God is a God that I can run to. And he, he wants me to know him as a father that I can run to, you know? And I want to know him like that. And we can know him like that this morning. I want to know him like that. But Jonah was a prophet that ran from God. Maybe like some here may be kind of, hmm, maybe running a little bit from God. He ran from, but God is a God that we can run to. And if we, if we will not just know him in our heads, but we'll truly know and experience this God in our hearts, we will experience him as a God like that. And then it's, so we're going to see it's these kinds of people that will make the greatest difference in our world today. We need people in this, right now, in this generation, who have this one essential. So in Jonah chapter, will you stand with me for a moment? In, Genesis, or in, in Jonah chapter 4, I want to read just a few verses here. But it displeased Jonah. So God calls Jonah to go to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, of course, were a cruel, violent, uh, bloodthirsty people. They had, they had just decimated the northern empire. Jonah had grown up, no doubt, with story after story, probably even had experiences, maybe relatives, uh, you know, family members who had, who had, who had uh, maybe even died or who had experienced the cruelty of the Assyrian people whose capital was Nineveh. And so Jonah grew up with this. And so when God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, he just runs from the presence of God. No, no, not, not those people. Rather than uh, being formed by the character and nature of God, he was offended by the character and nature of God. He was offended by it. And we're going to see here in a moment. And, and so he runs from the presence of, of God. And, and so God has to get his attention so you know the, the story. This is not a kid's story, by the way, right? This is, this is, a, this is, a man, this is a, an adult story, okay? And uh, there's a tremendous message here where God takes him to the, you know, depths of the sea because God's trying to awaken him. And, and not, just, not just Jonah. God is trying to awaken his people, see? You have a calling to the nations. 
I've called you. I called Abraham. I'm going to get to, this, to the scripture in a second. But I figure if you stand longer, you won't be nearly, you know, as like, antsy when you sit down. <laughs> Just hold on a second. And he goes, you know, I called Abraham to go. He said, he, he said to Abraham, look, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you in Genesis 12. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I'm not choosing you. I'm not selecting you so you can keep and hoard the blessings of God. I'm choosing you. I'm selecting you so that through you, all the nations of the earth can be blessed. How many of you just understand this morning that as, as God the Father called the Son, you and I have also been called, right? We've been called. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, even so I am sending you. He said that to his disciples. And he says it to us too this morning. He has sent us into the world. We're not to be hoarders of the blessings of God. Not hoarders of the gospel. Not hoarders, but those through whom the word of God can go forward and the healing grace and power of God can go forward. So anyway, okay, the scripture. Here in chapter 4. But it displeased, so revival. Revival takes place. Even the king humbles himself, calls a fast, humbles himself, repents, and God relents then from the, the judgment that he was, the disaster, the, excuse me, the disaster that he was going to bring, it says in the last verse of chapter 3. And then it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord God, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I, knew, I know in my head, I'm, that's a paraphrase, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is anybody confused this morning? <laughs> is anybody confused? I, I remember reading that like so many times. Like he, He's like displeased because God's good. But you know, if you let hatred form you rather than the character and nature of God, if you let the experiences of life form you, then the nature of, and the nature of God offend you, you also are going to have a problem. But let's pray. Father, bless this word. Bless your word to our hearts today. Even as we look at a negative example, which is intended to be as a wake-up call for us today, Father, help us to see the positive side and this one essential to making a difference in our world today. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So to, to, understand, to understand Jonah, we need to understand this formative view of God that we, that we read here. This is a very formative view. In, in Jonah chapter 4, when he says, God, I knew you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. And this is why I ran because I'm, you know, I know in my head that you are really good. And, and there's just, I knew if you called me to these people, these, this difficult people, this violent people, I knew if you call me here to these, your arch, you know, our arch enemies, then I'm, there's a good chance that you're going to be good to them. 
And I'm not happy about that, right? And so, but this is a very formative view of God in the Old Testament. For instance, in Psalm 103, probably some of you, if you remember Psalm 103, it's like one of your favorite psalms. And the psalmist says, uh, Lord, you're gracious and merciful, full of loving kindness and, 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 uh, and tender mercies. You're slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he says, you know, you're as, as, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far has, he, has God removed our transgressions from us. As the Father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And it's, it's just a wonderful psalm. Well, it's the same revelation, okay? The prophet Joel uh, speaks the exact same revelation, the exact same words, gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and, and truth. And, uh, and, but all of this came from this revelation that Moses had on Mount Sinai. Would you just maybe turn in your Bible, if you have it still open, to Exodus chapter 33. And, and we're going to look at where this revelation came from, and then we'll get to this one essential in the application this morning. Very simple truth. In Exodus chapter 33, this is right after uh, Israel has worshipped the golden calf. And so God says, this is a stubborn and stiff-necked people, and I'm going to just destroy them, you know. And Moses intercedes and uh, God, you know, God says, okay, I'm going to have mercy upon them. But in Exodus 33, in verse 2, God says, I will send my angel ahead of you, but I'm not going to go. Now, this is a startling, frightening thought for Moses. Because, you know, and I'm... I'm uh, you know, reading between the lines here a little bit. But I don't, I think I'm right. Moses knows not only that God is a wonderful, he's already experienced that, but he's experienced God as the one who parts the sea, right? Oh, God's the sea parter. And he's experienced God as the one who provides manna from heaven. God, he's, he's experienced God as a living God. Right? And so God has provided manna. God has provided water. God has healed uh, poisonous water. God has, God has just blessed his people. God was the pillar of fire, remember? And then the pillar of cloud to defend Israel against his enemies. God is the one who fought their battles for them, who destroyed the army of Egypt in the sea. And so when Moses says, oh, I mean, when God says, and, and Moses hears God say, we're going to get it right here in a second, uh, I'm not going with you. He says, wait a minute. If God doesn't go with us, we're just ordinary. We're just like everybody else. Uh, notice what he says. God says again in chapter 33, uh, and Look at, verse, look at verse 14. Finally, God says to uh, Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now in the, in the, in the space in between, first he says, I'm not gonna go. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to go. It says that Moses met with God and spoke to him face to face as a man speaks with a friend. 
Don't forget that. He met with God and spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with a friend. And in this, in this friendship with God, in this communion with God, he then says, God, please go with us. And God says, okay, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you and my presence will give you, I'll give you rest. What a wonderful word. But notice what happened was Moses met with God face to face. And that's, that's in verse 11. God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with a friend. So he convinced, Moses convinces God to go. Not, not that God didn't want to, but he was looking for that, that humility in Moses. And then God, uh, Moses says, and he said to him, God, Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? So, listen, this is so, I, I didn't even see this until recently. So we will be separate, your people, or distinct, probably your translation says. We will be a distinct. So when your presence go with, goes with us, God, that's what makes us a distinct people. That's what makes us distinct. It's not what we know. It's not even, you know, the, the, the fact that we're out here in the wilderness and uh, traveling to the promised land. It's that your presence is with us. Can I just say to us, church, this morning, that what makes us distinct is when the living God is in our midst. And when his power is at work and when he's transforming lives like we saw this morning. Oh, it's wonderful. I was just so blessed by the children and getting baptized this morning. But I know that God is changing and transforming lives here. Listen, this is nothing but a social club if the presence of the living God isn't among us. And that means that like Moses, he knew that, man, if God's not with us, then who's going to lead us? If God's not with us, who's going to guide us? If God's not with us, who's going to provide manna? If God's not with us, who's going to provide water? If God's not with us, who's going to fight our battles? How many of you want the presence of God this morning? I don't want to be here. I don't want to go. I don't even want to do church. I don't even want to do life without the presence of God. And so Moses pleads with God, and God says, okay, I'm going to go with you. And then Moses says, all right, but I don't really know who you are. I mean, I, he knew something, but he didn't know the fullness of God's glory. So he says, Lord, I wanna see your glory. I wanna, I wanna see the manifestation of, of you. I wanna know you. And so God, of course, you know the story where God uh, says, well, you can't see, you know, me and my essence, you can't live, but I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock. So God hides him in the cleft of the rock, covers him in Exodus chapter 34. And then God passes by and Moses sees this veiled glory of God. But Moses hears this revelation, okay? So he hears the glory. He doesn't see it, but he hears the glory. And this is, this is what Moses heard in Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. So remember, in the context here, this is a rebellious people. Just think about the people in your life, okay? Maybe, maybe it's you. <laughs> but think about the people in your life. Think about the darkness. Think about, think about in the context of, of the challenges that we face today. And remember the context here, a stubborn, a stiff-necked people. But 
I don't know what you would have said or how you would have revealed yourself in that moment. But this is, this is what God says, beautiful. Passes by, he says, the Lord, the Lord God. This is Yahweh. This is the covenant-keeping God, the God who provides for, defends, uh, helps, strengthens his people. This is Yahweh. This is the personal God to his people Israel. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. And he goes on. Uh, grace, merciful and gracious. And some translations will use the word compassionate. First, compassionate. It means that God has a tender heart toward his image bearers, like you and me this morning. That God has a tender heart, that his heart is truly tender toward. Aren't you glad this morning that God is a tender-hearted God toward you? And he says, compassionate, gracious. It means that Yahweh does things for people they don't deserve and goes beyond what might be expected to grant, grant truly kind favor toward people. Aren't you glad for the graciousness of God this morning? God says, Moses, this is what I want you to know about me. And this is what I want the people to know. I am a compassionate God. I am a gracious God. And I also want them to know that I am long-suffering or slow to anger. Yahweh describes himself as slow to anger, meaning that his patience with people's less than satisfactory behavior and failures, including their moral failures, is true. That God is is slow to anger. He is long-suffering. He is the God of a second chance. Aren't you glad that we have a God of the second chance this morning? And that he isn't ready to, 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 to you know, stamp out your life this morning. That he, is, he isn't ready to discard you. That he is a God who is merciful and gracious and he's slow to anger. Always ready to forgive. And then Moses hears this God is this revelation of God. He is full of hesed or this loyal love. It's a word that appears 175 times in the Old Testament. It's the word hesed. It's this beautiful word. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. It's the unshakable loyal love of God for people like you and me. And, he, and Moses hears this it's this, undi Lord, he, Yahweh says, I have undying loving devotion toward my people. However fickle, unreliable humans may be in their relationship with God, he is nothing of the sort, uh, but, but can be counted on in every situation at all times to be completely faithful to his promises, the promise, his promises to his people. And God says, Yahweh says, Moses, I am abounding in that. I'm overflowing in that. And not only that, but I'm abounding in truth, he says. Means that whatever I say is correct. It's reliable. You can take it to the bank. When I say I will never leave you or forsake you, I will never leave you or forsake you. When I, can, when I say you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, you can count on the fact that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And he, he's the God who keeps his word, who keeps his promises. And God says, Yahweh says, this is who I am. Remember, guys, 
This was the first time God had revealed himself to this depth, to his people. And so Moses hears this, this full of love, full of truth, but he also reminds them that his love is a holy love. And we need to be reminded of that in this generation too. He says, I will by no means clear the guilty. This was actually a comforting thing for, the, for God's people. That, that, you know, we live in a just world, that God is a just God, and that he will make all things right. And to those who are humble before him, he will always forgive. But to those who refuse his grace and his mercy, his overtures over and over again, he will also condemn. We don't want to live in a world without justice. Do, do you want to live in a world like that? We have a God who is a God of justice. His love is a holy love. And that should cause us this morning to fear the Lord and to live in the fear of the Lord. Oh, today, don't we need the fear of God in this generation today? That, that, we, that we take God's word seriously and that, that we seek to live in his presence as holy men and women of God. Not making, making light of sin, not making jokes about sin, but, but living in the holiness of God and, you know, guarding our eyes and our ears by his grace, through his spirit who dwells within us, by his power, seeking to live out the life of, of Jesus. You know, sometimes maybe plucking out the eye, cutting off the arm, being radical, in our, in our commitment to holy living? How many of you want to be, you know, radical in holy living? You know, I, I, I don't, I see those two or three hands. Okay, all right, okay. This is Grace Church. Okay, got lots of grace here. No, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's all grace, it's all grace. But yeah, to, to, to live a, a radical life of holiness and righteousness. But, but we need to see one more thing before we come to this this one thing. First, can you imagine being offended by a God like this? You know what Moses' response is? In Exodus 34, Moses made haste and he bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, Lord, oh Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. He doesn't say, oh Lord, we don't want the likes of you. Not running from your presence. He says, Go with us, for we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Oh, God, if this is the God that you are, now, I don't know what God you maybe grew up with, what, what picture of God you have even in your mind this morning, but this is how God has revealed himself this morning. This is who he is. And Moses, when he sees this God, he says, this is the, this is, if this is who you are, then I want you to go with us and take us as your inheritance. But Jonah says, I don't, I'm not comfortable with you. I don't really like you. I don't want you. I'm running from your presence. But one more thing. All of these attributes, all of these excellencies are perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ this morning. Moses saw a veiled glory, but we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. 
John tells us, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 talks about that we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Everything that God is, Jesus is. Every attribute of God is the attribute of Jesus. Every name of God is the name of Jesus. Whoever Jesus is, God is. Therefore, any concept of God in my mind that is not consistent with the person and redemptive work and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ as taught in the word of God is a counterfeit God and he's not worthy of your worship. He's not worthy of your worship this morning. Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a lower and worthy view or conception of God, said A.W. Tozer. The truth is, he goes on, that God is the most winsome of all beings and his service is one of unspeakable pleasure. This God revealed in Jesus. He is all love and those who trust him need never know anything but his love. He is just indeed, and he will not condone sin, but through the blood of the everlasting covenant, he is able to act toward us exactly as if we had never sinned. Toward the trusting sons of men, his mercy will always triumph over justice. Fellowship with God, he says, is delightful beyond all telling. Is that what you found this morning? And he goes on, how good would it be if we could learn that God is easy to live with? He remembers our frame and knows that we are dust. He may sometimes chasten us, it is true, but even this he does with a smile, the proud, tender smile of a father who is bursting with pleasure over an imperfect but promising son who is coming every day to look more and more like the one whose child he is. I love that. One of my favorite all-time quotes. Here's the one essential. We've got six minutes left. And then I got a three-point outline after that. Not really. <laughs> Here's the one essential. If you're going to make a difference in this world, we must know God. I must know God, not just in my head. I must know God. I must be on the pursuit of God. I must be seeking to know him, to understand him, to, to experience him in my life. I must, I must say with Moses, Lord, if you don't go with me today, if you don't go with me through this trial, if you don't go with me through this, through this life, if you don't go with me, don't send me up from here. But Lord, if you'll go with me, if you'll be with me in this problem, you'll be with me in this trial, I can make it through this. And Lord, I can't face this person and I can't face their problems and I can't face their brokenness. But I don't fa we don't face it alone. The, the Bible tells us that not only has God revealed himself to Moses and revealed himself in the person of Jesus, but he has also revealed himself in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He has come to indwell us this morning. God has, this God has come to indwell you, to empower you. We don't, we don't face the problem. We don't face these people. We don't face the crisis. We don't, we don't face the, the, the vitriol. We don't, we don't face all of this conflict alone. We can be in the midst of, of that mess and we can be in the midst of that problem as as people of God, full of the love of God. Do you think, do you believe that this morning? We can be there making a difference because we know God. People who know God are confident 
You know what, what you know, the ramifications of, of this. Jonah, he didn't really know God. He just knew of him. And, and so what's he do? He goes outside the city. He sits out there, he camps, and makes himself a little tent, a little plant grows up, and God's gonna teach him a lesson. But Jonah sits there and just like waiting for the judgment to fall, hoping against hope that judgment's gonna come. But what's he doing? He's going outside. You know what Christians do? We go inside. Amen? Just like our Lord Jesus, who, who Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he existed as God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. What's he do? He humbles himself. He becomes one of us, bearing our sins, bearing our pain, bearing our problems, in humility, letting the Holy Spirit of God work through him. And he says, the Spirit of God is upon me to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are captive. Deliver, to give the gospel to the poor. You know, you and I, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we are like little Christ in this world. We are little Christ. And he, he wants you to be a little Christ at work. He wants you to be a little Christ in your home to your children. He wants you to be a little Christ in, in that company. He wants you to be a little Christ as you're driving down the highway. Yeah, there too. <laughs> he wants you and me to be little Christ in this world, full of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Jonah goes out, we go in. We face it. And we say, oh Jesus, this is an impossible situation right now. Anybody, anybody have some impossible situations? Come on. Come on, this is, not, this, is, this is not possible. Well, you and I are supposed to be a living miracle. We're supposed to live a miracle. We're supposed to do the impossible, not us, but God working through us by his spirit. We're supposed to be in there. And I, I tell our missionaries, look, many of you have been dropped in a pile of manure. Now, I know you probably would say it differently, but that's how I... You, you but... If you will be faithful, if that's where God has called you to be, and you're in that pile of manure, if you'll be faithful to him, and you'll get on your knees before him, and you'll live out the life of Jesus in that community, pretty soon, or maybe not as soon as you would hope, but at some point, the fragrance of Jesus is going to emanate from your life in that stinky place. And the beauty of Jesus is going to radiate from your life in that in that dark place. And man, Brendan Yvonne Muir went down to southern Mexico and man, they were dropped in a pile of manure. We didn't intentionally do that, but it's just the way it goes sometimes in life. And we're seeing the fragrance and beauty of Jesus emanate from their lives until now they have the seminary and making disciples and oh, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful story. Your story can be like that too. Your story. Your family, that child that is so difficult, oh, know God first and foremost. Know him. And then by knowing him, God will use you. He will use you. His promises are true. He will use you in the midst of that to somehow, some way show 
the goodness and grace of God. Jesus went in, we go in. And, and by the way, I have one minute left. But if you don't have this love, you'll love your plants more than you love people. He loved this plant that grew up and he got so angry because he lost the shade, you know. Well, maybe for you it's not a plant. Maybe it's a pet. Okay. I need to move on. The pet industry in the United States of America is for, uh, over a $50 billion business. You know, we're doing chemo and radiation on pets now. And, you know, if you do that, God bless you. I hope you give lots of money to missions to make up the difference. Come see me. I got some projects for you if you want to soothe your conscience this morning. I love pets, even cats. I didn't say that in the first service, did I? If we will know God, that's the key. That's the one essential. And you can't know him when you're just speeding around, just so busy. It takes time to know God. It takes some intentionality to know God. You got to be in his presence. You got to be in his word. Let us be a church like that. I believe that this is a church like that. But let's be that church this morning. I got one more story. I want to quit and I'm, I'm, I'm over time, but just real quick. Timothy Ucati is supported by Grace Church. He's one of the pastors that, of Gospel Light that you guys support. A real quick story. He went into plant a church in a place called Baguio City. This church helps in that. While he was there, God blessed that church, gave him a fruitful ministry, but he heard about the Ibaloi people, the tribe that was lost, impossible seemingly to reach. He, he heard about missionaries who had tried to go there. He heard about a pastor, several pastors who had tried to go there, then all of them had left in discouragement. It just seemed like it was just such hard, barren soil. He just couldn't make a difference there. But he prayed and his church prayed and he just had a burden on his heart for the Ibaloi people. He didn't know of any believers among the Ibaloi. So he just began to go there. First of all, just on weekends and he would go and just walk among the villages and try to build relationships with people. And one day he was walking through the, the villages and he said, God, I don't know how to reach these people. And he said, it just so happened that there was an old man who was sick and near unto death and he was a very influential man and very beloved and he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you go pray for the man. He said, I went up and I just laid my hands on and I said, I said a simple prayer like, God, you're a compassionate God. You're a living God. You're able to heal this man and show these people how compassionate and merciful you are, that you're a loving God. And he said, the next morning, the guy was up walking around and uh, the people were amazed. And he said, all of a sudden, they began to invite me into their home. You know, they said, well, if, if, this, is, if this is the way it is, we probably ought to listen to what he has to say. And he said there were miracle, there were miracle after miracle was taking place, and God was just showing up and, and he, showing that he's a living God, that he cares about these people. And just this year, I, I learned that among the Ibaloi people, there are 80 new believers. <laughs> Knowing God, that's the most important thing. Pastor Keith. Thank you so much, Tim. Man, the series Heaven's Headlines, guys, there are things we need to know. God is not done and he's not working. And he, I said he's not working. He is working. He's not done. He is working. And tonight, 
if you'll show up here at 6.30, you're going to hear how you can be a tangible part of a move of God that I believe is not just going to touch thousands of people, but literally hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, let's, let's just be faithful. I can't wait to see what God has in store for us. So thanks for being here today. Uh, this has been a great day, and I want you to go. Remember as we go, we are the church. Let's be that little Christ wherever we go. You're dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday.